The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Hey, it's Captain of Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. Spring has arrived in Chicago, and what that means is flash flooding. A uh, basement where I keep thousands upon thousands of comic books, bins of action figures, and overpriced guitars. Got a foot of water in this So, uh, everything's safe. We ran everything upstairs that we could get upstairs. Doesn't look like we lost much, even the washer and dryer seems like it made it through, but uh, it's just another tag to put on 2020. So, we didn't record a podcast yesterday, but Stephen and I did one last week, uh, right before the Howie one was about to go, so we can catch up with him now. So, you'll hear things about Mother's Day and nothing about flash flooding, but uh, here's where we were. According to my job, we're finishing week eight of quarantine. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I think that's as far as uh, my office went, which was right around the time of the nationwide shutdown. So uh, seeing as time doesn't matter. Today was Mother's Day, and I was like, oh, yeah. Right. So I called my mom. We made Renee breakfast in bed. Then we're – yeah, now it's back to like this just (laughs) – landscape strange landscape yeah i looked at my calendar here and it's it was it's been 10 weeks since i was last at the office wow Uh, yeah i guess for me i was out of town um before the pandemic and then obviously eight weeks of lockdown but then they they shut the office down like we we moved out of the office like (laughs) i'll never go back there you know what i mean it's like we're moving all everything over to the brookfield studio Oh, they you're not going to be, you're not going to Grange anymore? No, they, ah. uh, they closed down the office maybe. Uh, I mean, we shut it down during the pandemic. Everyone was working from home, but then they, they just left the building because they're like, we were kind of planning a move for a while and, you know, didn't really need the extra office space. So they're going to move everybody over to the Brookfield studio where we have some office, uh, some apartments that were converted in office space. Um, so whenever we get back to normal, I'll be in Brookfield, not LaGrange. So that ends your decade employment on LaGrange Road. Yeah, it really does. Ah. Yeah, it's been been quite, almost a decade, because I think we opened Camaras in 2011. You did, yeah. Just about, just shy of a decade on on LaGrange Road, (laughs) so. Wow. Yeah, it's a feat. I'm taking that emotionally. I didn't, I did not realize that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like kind of weird. I don't miss the office. Like uh, the office is fine. It was just like the small apartment that got converted in the office. But I think like the as much as I have many problems with like the downtown LaGrange area and I got a little salty because I got a parking ticket in the garage before I left. So I was like (laughs) fighting with this terrible woman who works at the police department. Um, So I'm never going to pay that ticket. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's a little bittersweet. Yeah. So how are you holding up this week? Or the actually this is like two weeks because we this didn't. Two. Yeah, I because I talked to Mike Drucker and I talked to Howie Weingarten, so we didn't do one for right. a little. 
Yeah, I mean, kind of same old, same old. We uh, we got out. I got out a little bit yesterday. We went to my brother had like a gender reveal party, which I think is like an absurd idea. <laughs> oh, I've heard about these. I I, I did not do one. Yeah, I don't. Maybe they weren't like a thing. Oh, you know, I guess they were a thing when Sebastian was born. But Ben might be a bit old because I don't know how new the concept is. But they're they're in, they're insane. They're stupid. Isn't but, it like a magic show? Like it's kind of. I mean, like they open a box and like something pops out and they're like, oh look, it's a pink explosion of confetti. Yeah, there's like different ways you can do it. And it's because, a girl, and here's your card. <laughs> right, but because Michael's a fireman, I guess one of the things that one of the ways they do it is they. They shoot colored water out of a fire truck. Okay. So we all went to the Lamont Fire Department where he... Which, by the way, is the most innocuous way a fireman could do it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because immediately I was like, they're going to send a uterus down a pole. Right, right, yes. This is a which little is, bit easier Which than is that. actually how it starts. Right, that's typically how it goes. <clears throat> I have to uh, tell you, I, I did stand-up once in a firehouse. Oh, really? Did yeah, you yeah, uh, yeah, it was like Long Island or Jersey. It was with Mike Drucker, and uh, it was a one-story firehouse. And I got on stage and went, "This is great. Where's the fucking pole?" And I murdered. <laughs> it was like awesome. they couldn't have loved me more. That's great. Well, maybe you found your uh, your audience. You know what I mean? Well, you know, yeah, I got a lot of firemen. <laughs> firemen on, on the East Coast. Yeah, I I got a lot of firemen in my family because we're Irish, so right. Uh, we probably have more firemen than cops. Yeah, well, that's always good. I, I myself, we have, uh, oh, no, I actually think we have more cops than firemen because I've got two co- cousins that are cops, and the only firemen are my brother and my brother-in-law. Yeah, I think I got two cops. I know I got one. No, I think I got two cousins that are cops and then a long line of firemen, like uncles that kids became firemen, too. Like, right. You know. That long line. Walker once told me he took the he took the fireman test, got about a quarter of the way up the rope, <laughs> fell down, looked up, and my uncle Jimmy was just staring at him, shaking his head. <laughs> Is your uncle Jimmy a fireman? Yeah, he was a fireman forever. He was the one who um, passed away suddenly, and I so I did a ten minute podcast. Oh, but he, right. he was like the funniest uncle I had growing up. He showed me. He told me about Creep Show when I was seven. <laughs> I was sitting on his lap. He's like, and then the cockroaches came out of the sink. Yeah, he w- he was amazing, but he was a uh, chief. He was like, he was in it the for the long haul. Yeah. Um. Did you have any sure. relatives that were firemen during September 11th that were there? Uh, yeah, none that were in Ground Zero because they were such a major bottleneck because they called every single first responder. Right. That um a lot of my family was stuck in Brooklyn. Oh, like wow. they were getting responses back. They're like, we can't fit any more trucks. So you, you oh, keep... they couldn't fit any more trucks at, uh, at the, the site. site. Yeah. 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 So fortunately, um, I didn't lose anybody personally. A lot of people from my old neighborhood, we lost more in Rockaway from people in the finance sector. Cause it was like, those oh, were kind yeah. of the two ways you went in and Rockaway. If you were Irish Catholic, you either became a fireman or a cop, or you went to wall street. Like if you went to a good college mm-hmm. or if you were me, you worked in a comic shop, struggled writing comics. And then by the time you got into advertising, you were in Astoria. So, right. <laughs> so I, I'm the exception that proves the rule. I ruined the bell curve and many conversations about football. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you really threw a wrench in their plans. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so we, my hometown lost more from the financial sector than we did firemen. Yeah, wow. Uh, but then, of course, two months later, that plane blew up over Rockaway and like. Oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, my cousin Jimmy's best friend was like in one of the houses that was like the engine just fell through the house and that was Jesus. it. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. So if you're feeling really down about now. <laughs> right, just, right. Yeah, that's. Uh, just remember, it's not dramatic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it could always be worse. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, oh, another day of not following through with those plans I had. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, how is Star Trek treating you? So uh, I was checking the episodes to see how far I am. It's been two weeks, so I am on season two episode. I just watched episode 20 yesterday. Oh, you're almost done with season two. Almost through season two. So I will say it's definitely better than... Um, season one in terms of like concept production um, everything's kind of like they've, they're starting to find their way but the first episode of this season is where like um, um, I think her name's Deanna she's like the telepath yeah that's right she Deanna gets like yeah. uh, impregnated by like a space alien like who's a baby yeah and I was I was watching this and then like a uh, this is like two days after I read um avengers 200 where the same thing happens to Ms. oh Marvel. the corvac ms marvel it, uh immortus yeah and it's the oh. same it's the same exact story and in the avengers she like the kid grows up she like falls in love with him and then they go to live in limbo because <laughs> comic books they had and a hard time retconning that when ms marvel like became a major character again they really did and i in the um, the trade I have, the writer talks about it. Um, I'm the name is escaping me at this point. Is who was? It feels like a Roy Thomas or a Steve Englehart. Yeah, I can't remember who. Um, but they were they were writing the. It was in the Marvel Masterwork, and they were talking about like why, you know, he he had to basically explain the issue and then apologize for the issue. And he was saying, look, uh, what had happened was is that we had another ending for this like story we we're building up to with Ms. Marvel. And I guess another comic uh, used the exact same ending, like in a previous issue, like a month or two before. Huh. And they, he's like, I'm not saying anyone stole it. He's like the way the office has worked at the time was, you know, you'd call in, you were talking to different editors all the time. You're talking about ideas. He's like, the idea may have been floating out there. So I don't know if I gave it to that person or that person gave the idea to me he didn't name he didn't name the book did he no he didn't call anybody out because i think he's you know he wanted to be polite and everything yeah so. but i would love to see what that other story was like oh, i would love i would yeah. love to know if it was like a hulk right <laughs> like, my mind went to the hulk first like right the it's hulk like, had a baby and married him <laughs> well no so that's the thing they were saying is that whatever the original ending for miss marvel was in that book wasn't what they did in Avengers 200, the ending where she gets like impregnated by a mortis. And then this whole thing happens. That's the ending they came up with. He said in like, in like four days, they had to like put this together to rush it out to meet the deadline. And I guess that's what they kind of came up with. He said, it obviously wasn't the intent to make it seem like a mortis essentially rapes Ms. Marvel. Um, but that's basically the story. And, uh, and then Kelly Sue DeConnick had a, 
um, a, a letter in there essentially where she's just like, you know, it's really frustrating. We have to always kind of talk about this story. It's a very unfortunate story. She's like, I respect all the creators that worked on this. I mean, George Perez drew it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but she's just like, uh, you know, that she, it's, it's like, it now kind of has this like second life of similarly like people who have been victims of like sexual abuse and rape that it's like it's this like unfortunate chapter in a lot of people's lives that they have to like still kind of contend with so she says that's like in that way it's like ms marvel's just as much of like a survivor as like unfortunately a lot of other women who have had to go through you know similar experiences uh, but it was very strange to be reading that comic and then to watch this episode and i'm like this is this is the exact same like story i do wonder if the writers um had lifted that from the comics or if that was just like a creative well, that's it. well could you could you tell me, do you remember what years those books were published, like Avengers 200? Or is that in the 80s, or is that in, still in the 70s? Um, I think it's in the 80s. Um, I Let me see if I can find out really quick. I, I don't know exactly when. Um, it, it's not a great story. It's like, this is the problem, is like, when you love old comics, I go through them pretty regularly, yeah. digging through, like, these old books, and then you you find something like this, and you're just like, oh, yeah, this is not... Um, this is not great <laughs> material well, uh, here. You I'll know? give you a footnote about the episode that makes that even more interesting was it, going into the second season, there was a writer strike, much like there was in 2008. And uh, so I think there's less episodes in season two because of it. Uh, you're going to get to a you're going to get to a clip episode soon. Uh, a what so episode? Where one of those where they just remember old episodes. That was like oh I see that was like a big trope in television shows up until the 90s like when you had to make 26 episodes and you ran out of money okay you were like uh hey what if we all just sat around the kitchen and remembered things that happened and then we would show clips of old episodes oh that's frustrating and in fact in season two you're not there yet it's called shades of gray the re the reason that happened number one they were low on scripts but number two the Borg episode is so expensive. Oh, see, I did get to the Borg episode, so... Well, we'll get to that. That's worth worth a lot of discussion. Yeah. But, but the first episode is actually a recycled script from Star Trek Phase 2. Now, I don't know if you know what Star Trek Phase 2 was. No, I do not. What happened was originally Star Trek 1 was supposed to be a new series. And they built all the sets. They cast the new characters. Uh, Leonard Nimoy did not want to be a part of it, so they created like a new Vulcan character. The bald woman from the movie was was cast in it, and it was supposed to be a story about her. And they wrote like 12 scripts, and then this is like 70, 77. And then uh, because Star Trek had been so big in syndication, they were looking for re a way to bring it back. Then two things happened at once. Originally, Star Trek Phase Two was going to go on what would then be UPN. That fell through, and it didn't happen for another 20 years which ironically became Voyager. Voyager was like the first show to premiere on the UPN network, which no longer exists. It's part of the CW. But also Star Wars hit, and Paramount immediately said, no, we need a sci-fi movie, and turned the television show into a movie, which is not a good movie. But it used, <laughs> all, the, it used all the sets and the characters from, and I think it was the original pilot, that they expanded into a movie. So that script had just been lying around. So there's a couple of those stories that were supposed to be a star, a star Trek show in the seventies where like Picard would have been Kirk. And because of the writer strike, they just ran through and changed the names and 
put that out there. So that the script is actually 10 years older than that episode. So it might predate the Avengers book. Well, so I looked it up here. The issue came out in October 1980. Yeah, so the script at least is older than that. Right. So the script's a little earlier. Um, It was written by David Michelini. Is that how you say his name? Oh, Michelini, yeah. Michelini wrote uh, probably best known for writing Spider-Man when Todd McFarlane drew it. He did a long run on Spider-Man. He wrote uh, almost all of the Indiana Jones series in the 80s. Yeah, and it's I, I love his Iron Man run uh, that he did with uh, Ramita. Yeah, with Bob Layton. By the way, yeah. um, by the way, asked him to appear on the show. Said no. <laughs> so, oh, you know, that's fair. You know, it's not all of you winners. So I've had a brief contact with David McElhinney, and uh, that episode's not coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, by the uh, way, I have a long list of like major comic book luminaries who have politely told me no. But at least it's so been, I, I, like, I am working to book this show. It's not just you. Right. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, but apparently he worked the new ending out for Avengers 200 with Jim Shooter, George Perez and Bob Layton. Uh, and I, I guess t- they, he claims that they literally had to do it overnight. So it's, it's interesting, too, because that's the Jim Shooter era. And that happened again with X-Men. Uh, Jim Shooter had them rewrite that. And redraw that over the weekend to have Phoenix die. Phoenix was not supposed to die originally. And now yeah. that's known as the greatest X-Men story. So sometimes that tactic worked. And sometimes it doesn't. Right? Yeah. yeah. And those are two wildly different examples. Both featuring um, powerful female superheroes. Yeah. Um, so, so Star Trek, you're in the Dr. Pulaski season. Uh, yes. Who uh, initially I was not a big fan of <laughs> yeah she's she's not bad but it's like she comes out of the ship and you know everything's kind of fine but then like every single interaction she has with data in the first couple episodes is her just being like you're a robot get out of here <laughs> she's yeah. just like she has no patience for him be just being like a robot and she's like well you're a machine you're not real and it's just like but he's <laughs> he has feelings he's like a genuine synthetic life form so she well, he, very, he does the wrong way does, for a couple episodes there. Yeah, he does not have feelings because he uh, doesn't have emotions. He's trying though. He's he, trying very hard, and that she's w- being very diminishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will be explored later. But the the weird thing about Doctor Pulaski is that Gates McFadden, who played Doctor Crusher, and will come back to play Doctor Crusher for the rest of the season, for the rest of the series and the movies, um, she got fired. Oh and, wow. And but the explanation was so weird because they fired her as an actress. And they didn't make a story change. Was, was they're like, we fired we fired our doctor. Well, in this story, they're like, oh, she decided to work at in Starfleet Academy at like Starfleet Medical. But she left her teenage son on the ship. Yeah. And I I have a hard time with the show in the sense where it's like um, there's a level of like. Um, things I just kind of accept to just be like, this is what culture is now. And that was one of them where I was just like, I guess you can just leave your teenage son on a starship, which is essentially a military vessel. 
millions of miles uh, light years away from Earth, and that's just commonplace now. <laughs> and they don't even really talk about it. He's never like, oh, I miss my mom, or it's weird it, being on the ship honestly, without John my mom. It's mentioned like one time, I think, in the first episode with uh, the introduction of the new Doctor, and then and then they'd never mention her again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's so I weird. was kind of wondering, because you obviously know all this behind-the-scenes stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I was wondering, okay, yeah, like, what did happen? And it's like, okay, she got fired. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and the re- apparently the reason she got fired was um, she, uh, Gates McFadden has this really interesting career before Star Trek. Was She had worked a lot on Broadway in repertory theaters, and she worked for Jim Henson as a puppeteer. Oh, wow. That's in awesome. fact, uh, I found out about this because on the Labyrinth DVD, there's an old making of um, – documentary which was produced around the time and she's there as cheryl mcfadden and they're like cheryl mcfadden puppeteer and she's talking about the movements and i'm like that's dr crusher oh that's so so from her perspective she had come from this collaborative atmosphere and uh was like oh maybe we should do this let's change this let's change this and in that first season of star trek when things were so crazy and we talked about this before they took that as insubordination they were like no the script and on Star Trek, there's not a lot – there's almost no improv because everything's so highly regulated. Well, this is a special effect we designed, and this is this is an alien we have to meet that a whole department worked on. You know, right. This influences uh, the models we built. So you can't, you're not allowed to just go, well, I think the doctor would do this. And apparently she did that enough where they were like, get rid of her. Yeah. And in season three, as you see, and it'll be fun to, for us to talk then – because that's when the show gets really good, is that they uh, the biggest change is they hire Michael Piller and my, as the head writer. And Michael Piller was a guy who had come from family dramas. And that's when you're going to see a shift back uh, shift from just sci-fi plots where, you know, a teenage son has been abandoned by his mother and nobody mentions it. Right. Um, to like the characters really starting to get fleshed out and you start to learn more about who they are. And that's when you really start to care about them. It's all because of what Michael Piller did and the people he trained like Ron Moore who would create Battlestar Galactica and uh, Irish Stephen Bear who would run Deep Space Nine. Uh, he instilled that, and that is not present. So, yeah. But Michael Piller was the one that was like – Gates was fantastic. She was a mother. We didn't have that on the show. Can we hire her back? Right. And then as I said, she's there until the final movie. Like, yeah, you know, I, cause I remember seeing I think I like a, I must have seen like a screen grab or something where she's in like the more updated, like green uniform. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I was kind of figured she'd come back at some point. So I didn't know if she was out of the season because she maybe got pregnant or something or there was some kind of issue where she, you know, maybe was in another movie and, you know, it was like a scheduling conflict. But that she was fired for uh, essentially trying to do a job better is, right. is great. You yeah, know? that's. Another reason why that first season is not great. And and as I said, I was, I think, sophomore year of high school when that started. Huge nerd. I was reading, like, piles of DC at that point. Was very excited. Got about 10 episodes in. And I didn't come back until season five. Wow. Because that first season is so rough. So congratulations. Rough. Yeah, well, I was, uh, you know, quarantine helps. <laughs> Um, so then just, yeah, well, kind of- I'm finishing deep, I'm finishing season five of D space nine because of quarantine and now, and the decision, which is a great decision because that show 
that show will if you're still into Star Trek when you finish Next Generation, if you're not burned out, um, Deep Space Nine more than any show expands the Star Trek universe in a very Marvel kind of way. Yeah. Where they're like, oh yeah, well this connects to this and this connects to this, and now here comes a story that changes all of it. And in a and like when they introduce new aliens and new planets, it's like, okay, here is this race and here's how they work with Klingons and here's how they feel about the Federation. Um, they saved the Ferengi. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I literally watched an episode this morning. I was up before everybody, so I gave my mom a call for Mother's Day, and then I had like an hour before anybody woke up. And I watched a Ferengi episode of Deep Space Nine, and I'm like, this is great. But on Next Generation, not so they're, great. They're not great. Well, luckily, they I don't think they've shown up in this season at all yet. They they will show up in an episode coming up, I guess. But I, I've been spared them <laughs> so far. Uh, so I've seen, like, the um, um, the Sherlock Holmes, like, holodeck episode was cool. Yep. Uh, but then <laughs> there's an episode called The Out- Outrageous Okona. Yeah, I was just wondering if you'd seen that one. That is a weird episode. Well, what's weirder is, did you know that Terry Hatcher is in that episode? Yes, and you know the outrageous Okana is Billy Campbell, who is the Rocketeer. Oh, that's why he looks so familiar. He's been in some stuff recently. I feel like I've seen him in stuff and been like, oh, wow, I haven't seen him in a while. But yeah, he was like, you could kind of see that he must have had some manager that was trying to make him like the cool sci-fi guy. So got he, him like a gig on the show. Yeah, he was good. I mean, The Rocketeer is an underrated movie. I yeah, The Rocketeer. I love that movie. Uh, it was one of my favorites when we were kids. But the uh, that the same director directed Captain America: The First Avenger. Yes, Joe Johnson, and the reason they hired him is because, because he did the he did the he did the 40s so well in The Rocketeer right. that they were like, well, this movie takes place in the 40s. Um, but yeah, I, I was watching that episode and. Normally, the transporter guy's like the dude, you know, that who is like a major character, I guess, like later. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, O'Brien. O'Brien, right. And then they're transporting this like handsome, swashbuckling guy up. And ironically, the transporter chief is now a woman. And I'm like, God, she looks really familiar. Who is that? And then, like, it was a later scene she was in. I'm like, oh my God, that's Terry Hatcher. And Terry uh, Hatcher is one of those actresses where you don't mention one thing. Where right. it's like, yeah, she was Lois and Lois and Clark, but she was on Desperate Housewives forever. She's in an iconic episode of Seinfeld. You know, she just uh, she just works all the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, other highlights, the Measure of a Man episode I watched was great. That, and that's, that relates directly to Picard because that the yes. uh, that has the character. Who's yeah, who's actor? the total dickhead. <laughs> yeah, Ma- Maddox, Bruce Maddox. Yeah. Um, who like, it's funny. Uh, it did take me an episode to realize it was not the same actor because they did hire somebody who was that type. Oh, who's yeah, D bag. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Although he's less of a D bag in Picard. Yeah, he's pretty terrible in this episode though. Yeah. Um, Where he's uh, just like, yeah, let's just take him apart. Yeah. <laughs> Without knowing how to do it. It it it's such a great story for our times too because there's a jared kushnerness to yes. bruce maddox where he's like uh, i want to know what data is so i'm going to take it apart can you put him back together i'm uh, sure it'll be fine yeah right it's very uh and data is like um um uh, will i survive yeah i'm sure you will there's enough masks <laughs> we don't need testing um but then i forgot how much i loved uh whoopi goldberg she she's, she shows up in, she's good in episodes. 
Whoopi Goldberg is one of those people where her career has had ups and downs where I will admit there are times I have loved Whoopi Goldberg and there are times where I have not liked Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I we saw Sister Act when we were kids. Yeah. And I think that's probably the first movie I, or the first time I saw Whoopi Goldberg. And then I'd seen a couple, uh, enough of Star Trek to know as a kid that she was in one of the series, but I couldn't tell you which one. And then I can't really stand the view, so I never, you know, watched her on there. But um, she well, is famous, awesome And famously, when Patrick, Patrick Stewart came on The View as a guest to talk about Picard season one, he asked her on the air to appear in season two. Yeah. And she broke out in tears and said yes. That's um, awesome. And she yeah, said she's it. horrible. I love her. And, like, uh, I think Joe, Joy Behar is like, she always talks about how much she loved doing Star Trek. That's great. Yeah, and I mean, she's really awesome in it, and um, it's well, cool she's, to see her. But then I didn't great, realize that. Great, she, what's that? Uh, there's a great story about how she got hired. Mm-hmm. Was because the budget had expanded, they decided to build 10 forward. And they'd be like, we're going to build this big set where people can go and we'll have uh, different types of scenes. And she and Robbie said, we'll have this exotic woman as the bartender. And they were thinking of hiring, like, a, a model. And LeVar Burton came in and went, I'm friends with Whoopi Goldberg. She wants to be on the show because she was growing up and Uhura was the first black woman she ever saw on television. Yeah, I remember uh, hearing that story. And I think we kind of um, – the original Star Trek's really just kind of, like, hokey and not great. But I think it's, like, the – the things that they did, like culture, are significant. You know, Aurora being the first uh, black woman on TV that people like Whoopi Goldberg and a lot of other folks saw. And then, like, the first uh, interracial kiss on television happened on Star Trek. So it's like, uh, say what you will about that original show. It's like uh, they were uh, literally ahead of their time. <laughs> I, I will say I grew up with the original series. Um, like I said, I was in high school by the time there was any other kind of Star Trek. And I got into Star Trek because of Star Wars. I just loved sci-fi, and I had abandoned superheroes for sci-fi. And so any anything else that happened in space, I was on board with. So I started watching the original series. Uh, it's iconic as all hell. Yeah. With each decade, it gets a little harder to watch. It's like the Twilight Zone becomes more fun to watch. You ever watch the original Twilight Zone? Uh, here and there, I never uh, really got into it, but I've seen enough to, um, you know, be familiar with it. It's on Netflix and it's great, but it is it's dated in the best possible way where it's like it feels like what the characters on Mad Men would watch. Like it's very much of that time, but it makes it kind of more precious. It's less relatable, but more interesting. Well, Star Trek gets a little more removed from our experience. And I really grew up with the movie, so – like Wrath of Khan hit me hard and I and I went back and we've talked we mentioned this a few times watching original Star Trek is like reading Stanley Jack Kirby comics. Right. Oh, this is where it came from, but it's not talking to me. It's it's getting more dated as it goes on, unfortunately. And Next Generation is managing to last a little better, maybe because it's got a better budget. It, the storytelling was a little more sophisticated. Um, I think the cast has had better post Star Trek careers. Like, I, you know, if given a choice between watching a movie with Patrick Stewart or watching a movie with William Shatner. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear who's made better movies, you know, and there's been a few stinker X-Men's that Patrick Stewart's been a part of. Yeah, there have been a few stinker X-Men that James McAvoy's been a part of, too. That is also true. Patrick Stewart wasn't anywhere near it. I completely forgot, speaking of X-Men. Um, because 
the whole world shut down right after Toy Fair. I stumbled upon the Toy Fair reveals for Marvel Legends. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I forgot there were like 50 of these things coming out. They have a whole line prepared of Fox X-Men movies, of new figures. I totally forgot that was even going to happen. Did um You haven't gotten any new Marvel Legends, right? Because everything's kind of just shut down. Yeah, I've heard rumors that stuff is out. I talked to Joe Franzen, and he said he found uh, – I got Spymaster from the Black Widow set. That's the only thing I've gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Mr. Wayne's a couple of times, uh, and Mike and Mike Kaplan, who owns Mr. Wayne's, will be on the show soon to talk about what it's like to do curbside delivery of toys. Yeah. Uh, but he hasn't gotten any deliveries, and there's – I'm seeing, like, inklings that there's – right now there's supposed to be um, the Age of Apocalypse set, the Black Widow movie set. And the Avengers video game set out. Right. Uh, Hasbro Pulse put out um, the Black Widow, and I only bought Spymaster because he's a D-level jerk villain who fights Iron Man. So that's my yeah. that's my jam. <laughs> yeah, that's it's exactly the kind of dope we both love. Yeah, and I've fallen into uh, I've fallen back into a spawn hole. I <laughs> noticed the, that. <laughs> well, the Kickstarter ended at three point four million. There's something grossly gross about that. <laughs> that is just. I icky. think it's the same reason why Venom was such a big hit. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's all the same idiots. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I think a lot of them follow. I mean, I ended up buying it because I I saw enough videos of the articulation. I'm like, that's a great Spawn figure, and I've been talking about it a lot and i've been going on ebay and looking at the old ones and i'm like yeah that was a good one and when i was at mr wayne's i was like what spawn you got right (laughs) and he was more than happy to get rid of stuff that i had credit for yeah sure Um, the the only thing i've got the only figures i've gotten in the last two months have been like that one more oh i did get the probot they did a six inch scale probot from empire strikes back what's you know that's the big black uh, probe the, droid that that Han Solo droid? blows up. Yeah, Han Solo blows up on Hoth. Oh, it goes, bam, Hoth bam, 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 yeah, bam. I gotcha. And it's like big. It's like nine inches tall because it was a big robot. Uh, so I got that because I tend to get anything Empire. Yeah. Oh, they announced uh, we just passed May the 4th as we're recording this. And because there's no San Diego, there's no big conventions. They just announced a bunch of new Star Wars stuff. And uh, one of the things they're releasing, which I did pre-order, was they're finally re-releasing a six-inch scale hand and carbonite. Oh, that's cool. Which is literally a block of plastic on a card. But yeah. in the eight in the eighties when they did it, it came as a two-pack. It was the accessory to a hand with no jacket, like he had yeah, in Jabba's palace. They, they did when they did the three and three quarters inch or whatever. Me and my brother had a hand that he like clipped into the back of the carbonite block. Yeah, they did in the 80s. They did it again in the 90s. Uh, this time, nope, just the block. It's just the block. Yeah, they're getting a little chintzy because it's he's $5 cheaper than the other ones. And I'm like, you couldn't have just taken an existing Han Solo figure, removed his jacket, right. given, him new, given him new arms and sold him again for 10 bucks more. They released the baby Yoda, who's an inch and a half tall, doesn't even come with the baby carriage, 10 bucks. Jesus. Yeah. That's crazy. I still I still haven't even found a Mandalorian. Yeah, I don't think you will until they either do a re-release or they um come out with another series. Now I heard the they're gonna bring Bubba Fett into the, the show in season two. 
Yeah, Tamura Morrison is going to play him. Yeah, so he's the guy that played um, Django. Django Fett, right? Yeah, so okay. he's going to be like an old Boba Fett. Yeah. And he's like, he's gotten, I saw him in something recently. He's gotten like real thick. Like he's, he doesn't look like he did when he was Django Fett, but that might sure. be even cooler. Right. Yeah, I got to say, I'm, I am excited for Mandalorian, you know, to come back. I am not at all excited that they're going to put Boba Fett in that show. Um, I'm excited because they're doing a good job. Um, they've also released a new behind the scenes series about the yeah. Mandalorian gallery. And I've watched the first two and it's good. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that that stuff was kind of trickling into the Disney app because it's like, what else are they producing? <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? It's like they really it's, well, come up with as much content as possible. Right. Well, they didn't realize it was going to be as big as it was. They got like 13 million follow, uh, subscribers. They don't have a lot to put out. And because production is shut down. Right. Um, it's going to be a minute before we get into Zoom. Yeah, I don't know if that Rogue One series has been shut down, but I know Obi-Wan, they were they went sent all the scripts back to rewrite, so they haven't shot anything. Well, I did hear that they are resuming production on uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Oh, I didn't hear that. That's good news. Yeah, so I think it's like things are kind of slowly starting to get back to normal. And, and we'll Marvel, kind of see if it's like another spike. But Marvel yeah. was ahead of schedule because remember they showed clips from WandaVision, and that was supposed to come out in 2021. They and they moved it up, yeah. yeah. So we'll kind of see. And I had heard that WandaVision was done with principal photography, and that they were the, then just moving into like post production. But then I don't know what does post production look like on a major television show in a quarantine pandemic world. You know, it's I mean, a lot of it can be done remotely. If right. it's CG, if it's CG, I just saw uh, Todd Barry, who's a great comedian. Just posted on his Instagram this week, uh, said, recording my appearance on Bob's Burgers. And it was his laptop with a microphone and pillows around it. Wow. So they're, that's how they're continuing to make Bob's Burgers. And Todd Barry lives in like a one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have a studio. Um, so they're, thank God we have the technology we have or everything would be completely shut down. I mean, right. we wouldn't be doing we well. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing a podcast if there were no computers, but right. we certainly would be continuing it if we didn't have the technology we had. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what's made the um, the pandemic a lot easier than previous pandemics the world's gone through. Is that the um, you know we have the internet? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like think of how many more people would be losing their mind if oh. like uh, you know this wasn't um, definitely me. Right. It's just like it would make it a lot harder. I'd be opening every one of my long boxes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll As still- it is, Image Image took their entire back catalog. And at first I thought this was a sale, so I way overbought. But I think it's just in perpetuity. Image bumped all everything past the last six months to 99 cents an issue. So if you want to get the complete Walking Dead, it's 99 cents an issue now. Yeah. Um, what I did was buy the complete spawn. Well, yeah, and why you felt the need to do that? Because I stopped yeah. at issue 120, and it's at hu- issue 306. Yeah, that's so I, good. I am a franchise whore. Oh, you, uh, before we get back to Star Trek, because I do really want to talk about um, q the first appearance of the Borg. But uh, to finish out Star Wars, the big news this week was released— that Taika Waititi is making the next Star Wars movie. 
yeah, I uh, I'm obviously a big fan of anything that guy wants to do. So that I'm super excited for. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit yet? I did. Yeah, we. Um, oh, I don't know. Oh no, I must have seen it in theaters because yeah, we must have gone to the theaters to see it. I think the girls had seen it once since then. But yeah, we went and saw it. Um, I mean, last year when it came out um, and loved it. I mean, it was just like uh, hilarious until it wasn't, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that but, movie and, takes quite and yet work. a consistent tone. Like when it did oh, heavy yeah. stuff, it didn't like shift gears on you. We saw it in theaters, too. And then I bought it because um, I took Ben to it and Renee had never seen it. And she's like, I really want to see it. I really want to see it. And then iTunes put it on sale. And I'm like, it's worth owning. It's one of those movies that is better the second time you see it. Yeah, I could definitely could see that. It's um, it's more and more. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot to compare Taika Waititi to, other than you know, I'd seen Ragnarok, I would say loved, and um, I've seen what we do in the shadows. And I did see that after. I think I saw that after Ragnarok, and I okay. really liked that too. Um, so and the, when sh- they, and it was the show is the show is phenomenal, which um. Taika directed a couple. He's not mm-hmm. as involved. Uh, I read an interview where Jermaine did more of the show than he did, and Jermaine made fun of him because he was like, I remember you promised to do the show with me, and then you made a Thor movie instead. Yeah. <laughs> so so Taika, Taika's appeared in one, and he's directed a couple. Um, apparently Mark Hamill is going to show up as a vampire this season. Oh, that's cool. But we haven't seen him yet. It's it's. One of those rare occasions where the TV show is as good as the movie. Right. I think that was my initial hesitancy to watch it was that I was like, ah, it's not going to be like the movie. How close could it be? But it's nice to hear. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've, I've I've watched interviews with Taika Waititi where they talk about it. And he's like kind of like, yeah, it's really weird. They're making this show based on a movie, which was based on like a, just a, a joke me and my friends used to make about like, what would it be like to be a vampire? And uh, yeah, on the extras of the movie, there's a 10 minute short that they made and it was supposed to be just that short. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, you know, um, he, I think he's a really smart guy. So I'm, yeah. I'm super glad he's doing uh, star Wars. I'm hoping beyond hope that it has nothing to do with anybody who even has heard of a Skywalker. Now they <laughs> say Skywalker saga is complete, which I hope so. Fine. I have a hard time believing anything. Suits tell me. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the other thing is, uh, the longer I think about rise of Skywalker, the less I like it. It's quickly becoming my least favorite Star Wars movie. Oh, even over the second one. I like the second one. I think the second one is uh, is daring. The second one does some crazy stuff, and it doesn't always work, but yeah. some of it works. I find it interesting in a Batman Returns Iron Man three kind of way. Yeah, like you oh, you really, you really took, yeah, you really took risks with this franchise, and not yeah. all of them paid off. Um, Solo was my most disappointing one, where I was like, ah, I got what I wanted out of it, and I walked away, but. Rise of Skywalker, the more I think about that movie, I bought it, didn't finish it. It's now on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I saw it in the theater, so I've only seen the ending once. And it really hit me. I was talking about this with Mike Drucker, so I, I apologize to listeners who listen to every episode. And by the way, thank you for listening to every episode. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't decide if I liked that movie or not. And then I watched Star Trek Into Darkness again, and I was like, oh, this is the same movie. This is J.J.'s oh, really? out of I. It's J.J.'s out of ideas with this franchise because he packed that first one so tight. 
that that first one's great, but it was anything he wanted to do. And then he had a second movie and he was like, I, I don't know. What do you guys like? So with Star Trek Into Darkness, he's just started throwing Wrath of Khan in. And I yeah. feel like with Rise of Skywalker, he was just like, um, it's all about the Emperor, right? And it's like, it really wasn't. Right. It was like, yeah, the Emperor, the Emperor's in, uh, the Emperor's in half of the movies. But right. It, it was a weird left turn and it, it certainly didn't feel like it. It didn't even end that trilogy well, much less a nine movie cycle. Right. Yeah. I, um, I rewatched um, Rogue One and Han Solo probably in like the last eight months. Yeah. And I, I'm one of the guys that like liked Rogue One. I know a lot of people aren't, aren't a big fan of that movie, but I, it was fun. Um, yeah. I thought Han it was Sol- interesting. I was like, this is a story that didn't occur to me and I buy the way you did it. Yeah, I I don't I don't know that we needed that movie, but it was entertaining, yeah. you know, enough. Um, and then Han Solo, I was very disappointed with the first time I saw it and less disappointed the second time because it was just kind of like, oh, OK. <laughs> you know, it's like I love Han Solo. I don't know if I love Han Solo enough to know where um, all his stuff comes from. I would have I, much preferred. How did a- he get the dice? Yeah, it's like that kind of stuff is like kind of lame. Uh, I would have much preferred a Donald Glover as um, a Lando Calrissian movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought that was casting genius. Um, so uh, and then with the new Star Wars, I haven't I watched The Force Awakens a couple times, probably the first of the new series. But then those second two, I watched them once in theaters and never again. I just I do not care <laughs> about um, I bought either them of those. All- Please. I bought them all on iTunes going like, hey, I like this in the theater. Is your and then friend- when I watched it again, I was like, hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, I tend to have a cloud collection. Yeah. As you know, of like, oh, I, I don't have everything physically in my house, but I have to have one place where everything is. Although JustWatch.com has saved my life so many times where I'm like, I want to watch this shitty movie. Just watch. Oh, it's free here. Watch it. And then oh, when I get to the I end did. of it, I'm like, I don't want to watch this again. Yeah. But, uh, I found the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula movie on like Crackle. <laughs> I was like, wow. yeah, I want to watch this movie once every decade. <laughs> I, right. don't, I don't need to own it. I wanted to watch the original Dune and I couldn't find it. Yeah. So I was talking with Marco, uh, who's been on the show before, and uh, we were t- sending messages back and forth on Facebook, just kind of checking in with everybody to see making sure everyone's still alive and doing well. And he's a huge Dune fan. And um, we're, we were talking because I think they really set photos for the upcoming movie. And I sent him some pictures. And a movie I, or a series? I thought it was going to be a series. Oh, you're right. It is a series. I think because I think the creator refused to make a movie. I said the the world's too big, or maybe it's a multiple movies. That's like a two or three part well, movie. And there's a lot of books. It's it's like Game of Thrones in that way. With right. there's only like five or six books. And apparently the original David Lynch movie, which is, by the way, crazy that David Lynch made that movie. Yeah. Uh, that original one apparently compressed the book so much that people that like the book don't really like the movie. Yeah, yeah. and I think Marco – and I, I, I forgive me if I'm misquoting him, but I think he said the movie was interesting. It was like there was some stuff that he liked that they did. I don't know what his feelings overall. But um, you've seen the movie? Yeah, I saw it in the, in the theater. This was the craziest experience I ever had. That movie was so incomprehensible. Uh, I think what the problem was was people who loved the book were mad that it didn't have more of the book. And 
I understand that because I'm one of those people that loves the extended edition of Lord of the Rings because every scene is from the book. Right. It's not like they didn't. He, Peter Jackson didn't make anything up for Lord of the Rings. It's just like this is an hour more of the book. Um, so I I understand those people. And then, but then for casual fans, I've never read any of the books. And then uh, they gave you a glossary when you went into the movie. Like the studio printed out thousands of one sheeters. So when you went in and it's like, when they say this, this is what it means. There were like 30 different definitions. The problem was you then walked into a dark theater. Right. (laughs) So I. In an age before cell phones where people are carrying around a flashlight in their pocket. I will say it's, it's a visually interesting movie. It uh, has a very Blade Runner look to it because it's around that same time. Oh, and ironically, to bring us back to our original topic, Patrick Stewart is in it. Yeah. So that's, I think, why I was curious to watch it was because I had seen um, like a screenshot of Patrick Stewart in like this crazy setting. And I'm like, is this Star Trek? Like, what is this? And then I was like, oh, this is the Dune movie. And I, I, I read the first Dune book and I loved it. I really, really thought it was an awesome book. And then I think I tried reading the second book and I couldn't get through it. Um, so I might revisit it because Marco was saying like it is kind of worth reading some of these other books or, you know, now that I've got the time. Um, yeah. But um, I, I decided kind of to watch this Dune movie. On that tech, I decided to finally read The Shining because I've seen the movie a million times. And then I saw the uh, TV miniseries remake with Steven Weber as Jack Nicholson uh-huh. uh, and Rebecca De Mornay. <laughs> as Wendy, uh, which was because it was truer to the book. And then I was like, you know, I've never read the book. So I got an audiobook. My problem is I don't have enough time alone to put headphones on. Oh, so great. so I'd gotten like an hour into it and it's really good, but it's one of those things where it's like, wow, I actually miss my commute now because yeah. I would have flown through this thing in a week just from the hour going to work and the hour coming back. Right. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think now because it's like there's there is this like miss it's nice not to commute, but I think there was something to having this like chunk of time at the top and bottom of every day where you can ingest stuff like audiobooks or podcasts. You know, it's like I typically listen to a podcast when I'm making breakfast in the morning before the girls are up. And um, yeah, I wouldn't want to have that time taken away where it's just like, you know, you know, this time to kind of, um, uh, ingest something while you're doing something else, you know? Yeah. Most of my podcasting time is now binge watching time where, um, probably cause I like to have it on at work if I'm just focusing on one thing. And then it's, it, I just feel like an interesting conversation is happening around me, uh, because music I find distracting. I start to pay attention to it too much. Um, and, but I find the time that I would have been at my desk at work with headphones on listening to podcasts, I have Netflix on behind me and I'm watching Deep Space Nine. And, you know, so I'm watch. I'll watch like three or four episodes of Deep Space Nine a day while I'm working. And I don't have to pay a ton of attention to it because I've seen it three times. Right. But yeah, my podcast list is getting longer and longer. And every now and then I see something, somebody really exciting. And then I listen to that one and I'm really glad to listen to it. Um, I just listened to Jeffrey Tambor on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast and it was fantastic. But I'm like, well, when am I going to get time to listen to the other ones? I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, that, that's why I'm so appreciative of people that still listen to this because I, for some people, it's easier to listen to podcasts now. For me, it's harder. Yeah, I think it's it depends on everyone's situation, but I do think it is something where it's just like, um, 
I, I've found it myself where it's like I've, I'll subscribe to too many different podcasts and then I just go through the list and I'm like, I'm not listening to these and I just delete them. So, um, but yeah, I, I do think it is something where it's like, I think we've kind of lost uh, many things, but amongst them is this the commute free time. Um, you know, I was listening to, I think last year or the year before, maybe I, I, I listened to like 17 audiobooks in a year. And that's like more books than I've probably ever read in my life because I'm like a knucklehead. But the, uh, you know, I, I don't have the time to do that now because I'm not commuting as much as I was. Right. And you, and you have a job where you drive, too. So you don't have any choice. Right. I take I take the train. So sometimes sometimes I listen and sometimes I read comics on my iPad, which is one of the things that's gotten me further and further into digital is like, well, I can put a hundred comics on my iPad and then I don't have to worry about getting on a train and I have one issue left of this trade. Right. Speaking of um, reading comics on an iPad, uh, my mom just got Lisa for her birthday uh, and graduation, um, got her an iPad. So Lisa will be a comicsology convert uh, shortly. Uh, so well, if you've got any recommendations. Uh, my you know, my only recommendation. My only recommendation to Lisa, and I'll talk directly to Lisa because she listens, uh, just follow the sales. Every day when you go to comicsology.com, first of all, you already have an account because it's your Amazon account. Just click the sales tab because stuff is 99 cents all the time. Trade paperbacks are $5 all the time. And that that's my one thing. And everybody, and they have everybody. They have every comic company on there. Right. Yeah, it was, so, we were trying to find like an alternative – she had talked to me maybe a week or two ago and we were talking about alternatives to comics right now since, you know, they are shipping now. I think by the time you release this episode, Diamond will have reshipped comics on, I think, the 20th, if I'm not mistaken, is the the date that they were going for. Oh, and I guess it must be the um, um, yeah, it is the 20th, the 20th of Wednesday. So that's the date that Marvel, DC and most of the other companies are kind of getting back to some regular shipments back to comic book stores. Um, but they're not full shipments now. So it's like, it's a, it's a very truncated list. And I think some of the companies are doing this like off week where it's like one week will be comics that are new. And then the next week will be like, here's a bunch of graphic novels we printed that we don't have, um, you know, the schedules are essentially thrown off for. So we, we will be getting back to some semblance of a regularly scheduled comic book reading. But in the interim, me and Lisa were talking about comics and it's like, it's kind of frustrating because it's like, Amazon, Jeff Bezos is a garbage person and yep. Amazon is like, you don't want to give them any money if you can help it, but it's like, they're the only digital comics. Like it's essentially the same stranglehold that diamond has on the physical market. Comicsology has on the digital market. There is no other significant platform to, to read digital comics with, um, that exists, you know? Well, in fact, you can buy them directly. I believe both the Marvel and DC, um, websites have apps where you can buy digital comics and read them on the browser. The good and bad thing about that is, is you can link that to your Comixology account really quickly. Right. So the last couple of years, as I got serious about building out my uh, digital collection in the way that I built out my long boxes, and when things let up, I'm going to be selling a lot of books, um, was that I would peel off the stickers in the back of the issues and put in the digital edition that Marvel puts out. So the last three years of Amazing Spider-Man, I've been getting the digital copies and reading them on the iPad. As soon as I do that on Marvel, it's in Comixology. 
So yeah. they're linked like iTunes is linked. Right. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I did want to touch on uh, Q Who because that's the, one of the biggest episodes of Star Trek. That's your first appearance of the Borg. Yes. That's uh, a really strong appearance of Q. What did you think of that? Uh, good. I knew Q was coming back at some point, and uh, he's awesome when he does. He's a real prick. Um, what's interesting too is the the build up to the Borg is incredible. The the way they talk about him, the way they 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 talk to Whoopi Goldberg's character, who apparently is like not a human person, and she's like some kind of like ancient alien character, which is awesome. They'll never completely explain it either. Like, and I, there'll be yeah. a lot of hints, but there's no full origin. And I think that's great. I wouldn't want them to the way they were handling her character, um, what her people may be and where they come from and all this stuff is really interesting. Um, the buildup to the Borg's incredible. The thing I find funny is that like, um, you know, they, the Borg beam out of the ship and they're like scanning the computers, um, you know, in engineering and Jordy's standing there just kind of like watching this guy do this. And then like the captain comes down with like one security guard <laughs> and they're like um, just watching him and they're trying to get him to like pay attention and the Borg's just going about his thing. And it's just, it's striking the level of like, this is a military vessel <laughs> behaving in a way that's just like very, very confusing. Well, it's, an it's an exploratory vessel. So I think their first response is, this is a new species. Let's talk to it. Why right. won't it talk to us? What's it, it doing with our computer? All right, shoot it. But it's confusing because it's like he's clearly scanning the computer or something. And in other episodes, anytime the ship or any information on the ship is in danger of falling into like enemy hands, they're like, we got to blow up the ship. Blow up the ship. Blow up. <laughs> and then like the Borg shows up and they're just like, nah, just let this guy grab all our info. It's totally fine. I, I love when they cut like a, they cut like a circle out of the hull and they just, you can see like the various oh, yeah. levels they pull out of the ship. That's cool. Um, and then they're horrifying too, because it's like, they're clearly much more powerful than, uh, the, uh, the enterprises. Uh, so it's cool to, it's, it's certainly the payoff villain, uh, I've been kind of waiting for <laughs> because they're, yeah. they've talked you know, they go to the, you know, we've seen Klingons in this season where they're obviously allied with the, um, you know, Federation, um, you know, yeah, yeah, there's that great foreign exchange student program where Riker serves on the. So yeah, so uh, there's cool stuff. I I think uh, and the stuff with Q is great. Um, I, I I'm excited to get to more Borg episodes, um, because I think they are really interesting villains. Um, and I I think it's like I but I do like the mystery of it. So I don't know what they are gonna do. Obviously, I haven't seen it, but um, in terms of like, uh. It's like I it's like the it's like why Jaws is such a great movie. It's like you don't That's know where the shark sense. comes from. He just shows up and it's chaos and there's no origin for Jaws. And I remember reading an article or an interview with um one of the Nolans. I can't remember Christopher Nolan or his brother, whoever wrote The Dark Knight Returns. Well, they um, wrote, yeah, they wrote them together, Christopher and Jonathan. Okay, so this would have been the Dark Knight, the Joker movie. Yeah. And that's why they explain the Joker in the movie. They don't give an origin for the Joker, uh, at least no reliable origin, because he's clearly out of his mind. And they explained it by using him just like the shark in Jaws. He just kind of shows up and it's chaos. And I'm hoping that's kind of what we get with Borg. I, I don't really need some long, like, drawn out answer from, like, uh, where they come from or 
how they no, evolve. There is none. And that's great because I in think fact, we we get a little closer to Picard and a lot of people were worried they were going to create this origin. It was going to be like, oh, yeah, the Romulans created the Borg. And I was like, they didn't do it. And I'm like, good, never do it. Right. And I think that's strong because it's like uh, <laughs> I always remember I was talking with my mom a long time ago. And we were she had watched um, one of those like end of the world movies like uh, The Road or something like this. And uh, that's a horrifying movie if you've ever wrote it. Oh, try reading the book. I would never (laughs) read the book. Mike Trucker, the book is way worse. Mike Trucker lent me that book right when Ben was born. And then when I, then when I, monster, when I gave it back, he apologized. He was like, I wasn't thinking. I finished the book and it was good. And I thought, I thought you should read it because it's a good book. He goes, then I realized the place you were at in your life. Right. But I remember talking to my mom about that movie, and I had only seen a part of that movie, and it was a horrifying part. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, did you like the movie? And she's like, well, it was a good movie. She's like, what's frustrating is they don't tell you ever how the world ends. And I was like, yeah, but mom, if the world ends, who do you think's going to tell you? And she says, well, the president will tell us. And this was before Trump, so, you know, different president. <laughs> and... Um, I was like, Mom, if the world— And before the coronavirus was in the White House. Right, right. But I was like, there's just—there's no no guarantee if the world ends and there's some kind of cataclysmic disaster that somebody's going to take the time to explain to Monica Brown what happened. (laughs) And there's that mystery of how we got to that place, I think, is much more realistic than having it all kind of laid out, which is why I like not knowing— um, Whoopi Goldberg's origin in Star Trek or knowing where the Borg come from. It's like the mystery is part of the appeal of it is that if if you explain something, it loses a lot of the the mystery and the kind of the atmosphere of it. So um, the Borg are horrifying. I hope they keep keep them mysterious and keep them horrifying because they're uh, they're very compelling um, bad guys. Well, on that note, how can people be assimilated to your needs? How yeah. can they find you online? You can really only find me, I think, on Instagram at the Brave Butter Pecan. You can try a search on Facebook for Stephen Brown, but there are millions of us. So best of luck sorting out which one's me. And because there's millions of John Clarks out there, you can find me at Not In My Book on Instagram and Twitter. That is the official Captain Comics social network feed. You can also follow the show at facebook.com slash Comics, and you can subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever good podcasts are sold. We are also proud members of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, so if you go to Radio Misfits and click on the Lifestyle tab, you can see the full archive of the last couple of years absolutely free. We will talk to you next week.